This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Let's start, guys. It's Parsha's bow. Parakiyat Aleph Pesach Zayin says, For all of the Yisrael, the dog did not bark against any man or animal. That you knew that way you knew that Hashem separated, made a difference between Mitzrayim and Bnei Yisrael. So really what this year is going to be about is why there seems to be such a Jewish aversion to dogs when we seem to be the exact opposite. We should love dogs because of what they did for us in Mitzrayim or really what they didn't do for us in Mitzrayim. So why is there such an aversion, a Jewish aversion to dogs that you see so many people are like, oh no, I hate dogs, I can't stand dogs. They're the sign of the Satan when we give them brachas and it's put down over here. So that's really what we're going to try to work with. First of all, the word yecharatz is unique. Rashi says it means shinun, which means to be sharp or bark sharply. You know, something like uttering a sharp cry. No dog in Egypt let out a sharp cry that night toward the Jews or any of their animals at all. Targumunculus, Targum Yonason says the exact same thing. This is similar to what says in Yoshua. In Yoshua, when the nation saw how great the Jews were, it says, Lo yecharatz ish. No man barked at the people, at the Jews anymore. No longer did they say like, oh man, look at these people, look who they are. No longer did that happen. That's the concept that Rashi brings up. That's the idea over here. Ibn Ezra seems, says that it means just that, to bark or bite. That these dogs did not bark or bite. Even though their masters were dying that night, they were trying to protect their masters, they didn't do anything whatsoever. It doesn't help us understand the last part of the puzzle. Just because the dogs didn't bark, why is that showing a difference between the Jews and the Egyptians? Why should that matter whatsoever? It's the Ramban answers that the Malach HaMashchis was killing every single Bechor in Mitzrayim. B'nai Yisrael is very safe. And I know we're going to go through the whole idea that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did it, not a Malach HaMashchis. We'll get to that. But the Ramban says, since the Malach HaMashchis, the Malach HaMavis, was killing all of the Mitzrayim, B'nai Yisrael were safe, not only from the Mashchis, but from any other damaging creature. Even the dogs did not hit the Jews. On the other hand, the dogs did hit their own masters. They bit and barked at their own masters, but they didn't bark and they didn't bite the Jews the same way the Malach HaMavis affected the Mitzrayim, but they didn't affect the Jews themselves. Rapersh explains, nobody will be able to do any harm to the Jews, even though they're going to be extremely upset and angry. Just think about this. You have a whole nation that has been through nine Makos already, and now they're losing their firstborn, their godly firstborn, the, the greatest of all time. I'm a Bechorus. I understand this, right? I, the first one that's born, that's the one that they're going after. You'd think that there'd be revenge. You think there'd be all these, these, these people with like, I don't know, starting a pogrom with these huge torches going through the night to destroy the Jews because they're the ones, they're the reason why this happened. This is what it means. Nothing will happen. Nothing will be able to hurt the Jews. Neither the Egyptians nor the dogs. At this point, there would be a silent respect for the Jews. From the animals, from the people, a silent respect that was had by all. Chafetz Chaim says, this is going to be what it's be, going to be like in the future. In the future, when Mashiach comes, just like in the past, the Egyptians' dogs did not bark, so too for us. The animals recognized our superiority and they wouldn't do anything to us. In the future, it's going to be the same way. They're going to realize, recognize 
our connection with God and they'll want it. And they'll come to us and say, how do we get that? How do we get that connection that you have, that you have automatically from the Avos? How do we get that as well? That's what's going to happen in the future, says the Chavetz Chaim. Now it's lo yacharatz lashono. In the future, it's going to be lo yacharatz ish lashono, that no man will be able to say anything to you. There's a few reasons why you'd think that the dogs would be barking on this night, where you say like, oh, they didn't bark on this night. Maybe they were sleeping. Maybe they weren't up. Why should we worry that the dogs weren't barking on this night? The tour in the Panayach Raz says dogs bark when they see carcasses on the ground, dead bodies on the ground from which they can take bones and meat. Since they see these bones and meat on the ground, the people that were dead on the ground, they should have gone crazy. The Moshe Zakanim says that there were dogs going throughout the land grabbing carcasses for themselves, corpses. The people and animals that died, there were firstborn animals as well, when they saw all of these people and the animals that were dead, they were even dragging Egyptian firstborns out of the grave, dragging them out of the houses, says the Moshe of Zikanim. They were too busy to bark. They couldn't bark because they were too busy doing everything else, dragging those bodies out. The shock says they were ordered for this. They should have been chewing on the bones and the flesh of the dead firstborn, but instead they dragged their bodies out to the streets that the Jews would see how many people had died. So we reward them by giving them food and scraps of meat from our table. We throw it to the dogs. We're trying to give it over there. The tour in the Panacraza also say that dogs bark when they see people doing things that are uncharacteristic. If its owner would be doing something which is strange to it, it barks as if to say, what's going on here? This is not what I'm used to. I don't get what's going on. So when they see people running around at night, they see that there's a plague in the city. The dogs should have gone crazy. Egyptians crying and screaming and a huge su'aka going out in Mitzrayim. The dogs should have been barking along with them and they weren't. When they went silent, that showed that a Kaddish Baruch was stopping them for a reason. That's the reason why they should have spoken up. Horachai Makutter says it's not like the dogs were completely silent. In Bavakama Samachama Bays, it says when the Malachamavis comes into a city, the Malachamavis walks in, the dogs are tsoakim. They cry out loud, they scream. They have this sixth sense almost, as if they can feel like the Malachamavis is right there in front of them, and therefore they go crazy. Sefer Hasidim brings down there was a dog that was barking at absolutely nothing. So a guy pushed the dog into the area that he was barking at, and immediately the dog died. So I don't know what that story is. <laughs> but at the end of the day, that means that there's something that they can see that others don't know. There were dogs barking. They were barking around the Egyptian areas, all around the Egyptians where the Malachamavis was, wherever there was a Malachamavis, that's where they were barking. But by the Jewish areas, they weren't barking because there was no Malachamavis. That's the difference. That's the end of the Pusik. So you can see a difference between the Jews and the Egyptians. By the Egyptians, there was barking. By the Jews, there was absolutely nothing. Alshech says the exact same thing as the Orachayim HaKadosh. It's basically the, big, the same idea. That's the Kenyam in the Rush says this was the miracle. Even though there was a Malachim of us there, they didn't bark. So the Orachim and the Alshech says they were barking by the Egyptians, but they weren't barking by the Jews because there was no Malachim of us. According to the Dasa and the Rush, no, even though there was a Malachim of us, they didn't bark at all. There was no barking. Nothing happened on either side. Rav Chaim Knievsky says the exact opposite. Since the Malachim Avis was not around, as we said before, God went through Mitzrayim killing the firstborn. If God did it and not the Malachim Avis, then the male of the dogs didn't bark. The proof that the Malachim Avis wasn't around was the fact that the dogs didn't bark. 
When that happened, they understood that's what was going to happen over here. The Egyptians made a lot of noise anyway. They realized they were making a ton of noise anyway, so it didn't really make that much of a difference whatsoever. It didn't matter at all. The Chassam Sofer says the exact same thing. They now knew that Akadosh Baruch was in charge, that he was doing everything. They understood what was going around them. Chizkuni says, dogs bark at Chatzos. Chatzos is midnight. Gemara and Brachos, and we all know this, there are three Mishmaros of the night. In the first Mishmar, the donkey brays. In the second, the middle of the night, the dogs bark. They should have been barking at midnight because that's their time to bark, according to the Gemara and Brachos and Gimel and Mabez. And they didn't bark at that time. Spiritually, there's some connection between them and midnight. And they didn't bark at that time. That's the Bracha that they get because they didn't bark at that specific time. That's the fourth answer. Fourth answer given. Then it says that, as we said before, dogs can feel something spiritual going on around them. There's something that they get that the others don't, which is what that Kamara and Baba Kama was talking about when it says the Malachim was around, they bark. They certainly would have noticed a change if the Shekhinah came down to Mitzrayim. It says the Jews were a lot, were obviously, they weren't allowed to go outside in the night. That means just the Zikanim. Regular Jews were allowed to leave. You know the Medrash where Paro's running through Mitzrayim and the kids were like, Moshe's over there, Moshe's over here. You know that Medrash that you might have learned when you were a kid? So I always thought that had to be a joke because the kids weren't allowed to go outside the houses. According to the Nitziv, the Jews were allowed to leave. Just the Zikanim could not leave. The great men could not leave their houses. Everybody else could. So there were Jews walking around. There were some people who were ashamed. The dogs would have barked at them if not for the fact that they knew they weren't supposed to bark. That's an itziv. They knew there was something happening on that night. Could be even borrowing money, money at that time. I have absolutely no idea. Revol Yashiv says, and I think this has been used in many other places, when dogs bark, you get one dog barking, every dog joins in. You get one dog barking in a neighborhood, you're going to get every single dog following suit. Had the dogs of the Egyptians started to wail, the dogs that belong to the Jews, says Revol Yashiv, would have started barking as well. That would have disturbed them during their meals. They wouldn't have been able to concentrate on telling over their stories. The dogs would have gone crazy, and they needed the quiet to be able to tell over their stories and talk about the miracles that were happening. They needed to be able to be quiet. So the dogs specifically did not bark in order to make sure. It shows, says Rav Yashiv, that Hashem takes care of us with Ashkacha Pratis down to the last detail. The Ksav Sopra says it as well. Now the Otsar Parish Midrash brings us down as well. A Parish Satora. Otsar Satora brings us as well. But I didn't know this. Maybe you knew this. The Jews had dogs? Rav Yashiv just said the Jews had dogs. The Jews had dogs? No, they didn't. Didn't we? I, I, the assumption is is that dogs have always been a non-Jewish thing. It's never belonged to Jews, right? We never had dogs in our, in our company, but it's not true. The Otsar Plos, the Torah brings down, and it's from Rav Yashiv. Rav Yashiv brings this down over here. Medrash Tehillim, Chav Beis, says they brought dogs with them when they left Mitzrayim for protection. They brought them with. When they saw the Egyptian bodies spat out on the shore after Kriyas Yamsuf, they sick their dogs on the bodies and said, take whatever you want. That's what it's, they said to the dogs that they had with them. And they brought dogs with them through the midbor. I have no idea what happened to them in the end, if they stayed with dogs the whole time, or if they brought dogs into Eretz Yisrael with them eventually. Bracious Rabbah says, where do these dogs come from? Bracious Rabbah, Ayin Gimel Yudalef, says Yaakov had 600,000 or maybe 1.2 million dogs in charge of his flocks of sheep. 
Now, there's no question that number is exaggerated. There's no way he had 600,000 dogs. I doubt there were 600,000 dogs in the world at the time. I, I can't understand that there would be that many domestic dogs at the time. I'm sure there's an exaggeration. And the number 600,000 is clearly, that has to be a number that corresponds to Claudius stolen away. But the fact that the Medrash is equating the dogs of Yaakov, that Yaakovino had dogs, and passed them down to Bnei Yisrael later, and calls the number 600,000, that shows a huge, huge connection that Klau Yisrael is connected to these dogs. The Drushos Rabbi Yeshua Ibn Shuib says that this is hinting to a very great secret. I don't know what that means. I have absolutely no idea. But anyone who tells you that dogs are not a Jewish thing, that Jews and dogs don't get along, tell them this medrash. We have a Bracious Rabbi Ayin Gimel. We have straight, Revel Yashiv mentions it straight out. And a Medrash Tehillim Mechav Beis. It says straight out that not only do we have dogs, the dogs were there with them the entire time. I have a feeling there's some connection here that's a little bit deeper than what we're looking at, but that's around. Miam Loez, from the Riva, brings down another reason why the dogs should have been barking. Because the Jews left their homes with sticks in their hands. And because they left their sticks in their hands, whenever a dog sees a stick, they're worried they're going to get hit by that stick. So they start barking or whatever, running after it. Nonetheless, it made, it, it, they wouldn't make any noise, even though they saw the sticks together with the Jews. The Jews left, remember, with their belts on, their staffs in their hands, your staffs in your hands, even so they didn't do anything. The Miamalois brings a medrash in the shach that the Egyptians painted animals on the gates leading out of the big cities. That whenever you wanted to leave, you had to leave through one of the gates. There were 12 gates leaving Mitzrayim. Every single gate had a different animal on them. The animal that led to the northeast toward Eretz Yisrael and toward the Yamsu, where they were going to go, that gate was known as the dog gate. The area was also the area known as Baal The god in that area was Baal According to one parish in the Medrash, Baal the god of the gold, was a dog-like creature. Maybe you've seen in Egyptian like lore, in like, the mummies and stuff like that, you've seen the dog face that's out there, the masked dog face. They call something, Ibis, or I, I forgot to look it up before. What? Anubis. Anubis? Oh, that's what it is. A-N-U-B-I-S, right? Very, very good, right, because you said something. But, but, but that's that. They had something that was dealing with this that was there, again, some people say it was a god itself and other people say it was just one of their, like it was a potency type of thing, right? So they were trying to use stuff like that. But these gates were made with magic. Here's what would happen. When people wanted to leave without permission, they would go through the gate and the gate would just, the dogs would start barking. These magical painted dogs would start barking and the noise would be heard from far away and they would know if somebody left. All the Egyptians would know if something would happen. This time, the Jews left that gate. They walked out from the gate itself and none of the dogs barked. The alarm system didn't go off. That was the miracle over here. Now, it doesn't make any sense because this was midnight. They weren't leaving at midnight. But could be that the next morning when they left, the dogs didn't bark in that area over there. Shmos Rabbah, Parak Halacha Yudzayin, says there were golden barking dogs around Yosef's kever. And they kept Yosef there. Paro knew that they couldn't leave Mitzrayim until Yosef was taken out, his bones were taken out. So he put these guard dogs, magical guard dogs, around Yosef's kever. And he kept them there. So if anybody tried to take him out, they would bark and go crazy and kill the people who are coming near. So when Moshe Rabbeinu came by, lo yecharatz kelev loshono. The dogs, these golden dogs that were there, remained silent. Heard that one before? 
Anybody hear that one before? You've heard this one? This is good one. That, that, that's amazing. In addition to this, Yalku Rubaini number 41 to 43 says there's a connection between Baal the god of gold, and the dogs, and what it meant. There were two things that Egyptians loved the most. Their money and their animals. The money and their dogs were very, held in high regard. And therefore, their god of gold was specifically one that dealt with the dog itself. And they went out through this gate, even though they didn't have to. Maybe there was another gate that could have gone out there. They specifically went out from this gate to show that they were not afraid of the dogs of Egypt. That's not something there. The Miyamoes brings number nine, a ninth reason why they should have been barking. Say that the dogs refer to the Egyptians themselves. The Egyptians are the dogs. They were the ones who were barking, like the Khartoumim, the magicians who said, this is nothing. What they're doing is nothing. These guys are garbage. The Khartoumim are getting up. Not anymore. Up until now, they were able to talk and say things and say like, oh, these makos, whatever. They were done. The Khartoumim either converted, they became the Erevrav and joined Ben Israel, or they were done. They were all dead. They didn't have to worry about anything. So at this point, the Egyptians no longer had anything to say. The Egyptians could not say one word. Paris Yosef again brings down the idea of what was happening with their sixth sense, whatever. I guess you can add that on before. I don't know why I put it separately. And the Igrid Akala says something interesting. There are two places where it says, Ulechol b'nei Yisrael. Ulechol b'nei Yisrael, Leyechor Etzkel of Lashono. Ulechol b'nei Yisrael, Haya Or b'moshvosam, by Makas Choshech. He says, during the plague of darkness, what did the Jews do? I'm not talking about the four fists of B'nai Yisrael that died. What did the Jews do during Makas Choshech? Anybody remember? They were what? They were looking for the money. They were going around the houses looking for money, but they didn't take a thing. The dogs of the Egyptians should have barked at them and said, like, to their masters, there's a Jew here, there's a Jew here. They should have been barking, but they were silent. The Egyptians were blinded. Their dogs weren't blinded. Whatever the darkness was, it didn't affect the dogs, or maybe it did affect the dogs. Either way, the dogs should have sensed something, but they didn't. They didn't bark. They didn't chase. For that, they were going to be rewarded. Those are the 11 reasons that I brought down, right, as to why the dogs should have been barking and were rewarded when they didn't. So why is the dog brought up or anything? So the Rabbin of says, Al-Derech HaKabalah, that dogs are gashmi animals and are never satisfied. Does anybody here have a dog? I know you do. Yeah, you have also. Are dogs, do they keep eating? Will they keep eating until they, like, just, do they, like, if you put a ton of food there, will they just keep eating and eating until they die? What do you think, yeah? Yeah, until they throw up, they But they will. They'll keep eating it. So you've got to make sure that it's a limited amount in front of them. It's amazing. It however much you give them. It does. No, no, but I'm saying, if you, if you take out a huge bag of food and you put it in front of them, will they just however, keep eating? However much is there, they'll eat. So if there's a lot there, they'll eat. If there's little, they'll eat. So... There is a Gemara. They never get full or satiated. It's Gemara and Shabbos, Kupnun, Kupnun, uh, Gittin Nunvav, I'm sorry. That they're never satiated. It's even a Pusik in Yeshaya. Yeshaya Nunvav Yedalov. And it could, it could be compared in a way, says Rabbeinu Bechaya, to the Malach Amavis. The dog is never satisfied, and the Malach Amavis is never satisfied. He always wants more and more and more. And because of that, the dog is known as a very Gashmi creature totally into this world, never looking for the spiritual. Again, we are not saying that animals should be spiritual. That's not the point. It's that the dog represents this more than any other animal. I don't know if this is true. I, 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 I don't know if other animals are like this or not like this, that if you put a ton of food in front, if you put a ton of food in front of a cat, is it going to eat until it gets sick? Or just eats what it wants and then it goes away and then it takes a little more, dog, right? The dog will eat them anything even if they know, even if before they I'm know. asking about cats now. I'm saying, but the, the thing is that dogs will also just eat anything 
even if it'll make them sick. Doesn't matter. Again, the same idea. I, I'm not worried about dogs anymore. Like, in, in a cat, is a cat going to be the same way? Is a hamster the same way? Do rats keep eating until they die? Right until they get themselves sick. I just don't know if that exists. Apparently, the dog is the representation of keep eating, keep getting involved in this world. And if that's so, then what we said before of, wait a second, aren't these dogs these anti-Jewish creatures? It comes out Derecha Kabbalah over here. The dog is the one that's in charge, so to speak, of Lashon Hara. When we speak of Lashon Hara, La Kelev so, we throw him to the dogs. It's a Pusik right by Lashon Hara, Rechilus. Right, we say so it's Kiil, they're in charge of those ideas. The fact that we throw Nivelos and Trefos and they're in charge of midnight, the middle of the night, stands for things that are there. He's the power of Midas Adin. When the dog barks at you, says Ravinu Bakaya, that means the powers of Tuma are trying to come against you. So that dog, which represents the Satan, the Malachamavis, the Gashmias of this world, seems to be that when they're barking, there's accusations against the Jews. On this night, even though the Jews were not perfect, even though the Jews did things that were wrong, on this night there were no accusations against the Jews. When it says, it's not referring to actual dogs. There may have been dogs barking on that night, but there were no accusations against the Jews in Shemayim. There was nothing wrong with what the Jews did. In Shemayim, the Malachim all agreed the Jews get to go free. That was the amazing part about this according to the Rabbeinu Bechai, what that seems to mean is when the dogs were barking, that meant that the Egyptians should go down. We were separated. A miracle happened. Even though some people should have been killed, those Jews, nonetheless, they were separated from the Egyptians, and that's the end of the Pusik. They didn't get accused. Nothing bad happened to them. That's the idea behind it over there. There's a Mayana Shel Torah here, but we're going to skip that for right now. We're told to throw the nevelas to the dogs. To give any nevela that you have, you have non-kosher meat, something that you're not allowed to have, or even scraps at your table, the reward for the dogs not barking is to give them scraps from the table, to give them any nevela and trefa. They get the nevelas and trefas out there. That's the reward. That's what Rashi says over here, and it's brought down for the Gemara itself. There's another reward that's given to them by the Shach, written by the Shach. Yalkut Shimoni says in Kuf Pei Zayin, when the dogs stopped barking, they were rewarded, listen to this, the excrement of dogs is used to soften leather to be used for a safer Torah, tefillin, and mezuzahs. It's not any other animal's excrement. It's dog excrement that's used to soften the leather, not anything else. That is the reward given to them, brought by the Alkashimoni and the Shach. That's the reward. We use a non-kosher animal, a dog, which we just said is a sign of Tuma and Malach Amavis and all this evil. We use the dog's excrement to make our Sifrei Torah. Our Sifrei Torah might not be kosher without that process. And you need the dog for that. It's crazy that we think that way. And we think it's, it's the most unbelievable thing. And why? Simply put, it was Mekadesh Shem Shemayim. It made a Kiddush Hashem. Therefore, the dog is used to be able to make our Sifrei Torah. Isn't that unbelievable? The Tuma, I don't want to say Tuma, it's not really necessarily the Tuma. The disgustingness of the dog is used to be Makadish, the greatest thing that we have in the Sefer Torah. It's such an unbelievable thing. Shach and Torah Shlema say a third reward. Perak Shira, the Perak where we have all the animals and what songs they sing, the dog gets to sing a song. It was not supposed to. It's a brazen animal. It's a brazen animal, and it might not have gotten a song if not for this. 
but because of this, they were allowed to, they were rewarded for not barking. They get a song in Perak Shira. That was number three. That's the third reward given to them. And number four, the last one is brought by the Ben Ishchai in his Halachos, Shana Rishona in Parshas Tzav. I saw them in the Otsar Pelosa Torah. Don't think that I've been going through the Ben Ishchai and Halachos and starting writing them down. I do have three pieces from the Ben Ishchai, but not this one. Now I do. That even though we're allowed to hit dogs, based on Shabbos, Kufin, and Hayim Abayz, if they're bothering you, you can hit them to get them away from you. The fourth reward is, on Pesach, you are not allowed to hit a dog. On Pesach, you are not allowed to raise a stick or smack a dog for seven to eight days because they wouldn't bark for us when we left. So it's amazing. That's an amazing thing to know that if you normally hit dogs, don't do it then, right? But that for seven, eight days, absolutely nothing happening during this time. Now, in Moe Nebuchadnezzar, he says, based on Rav Sadiagon, that there is no such thing as animals being rewarded. He says, there's no such thing, according to our religion, no such thing as animals being rewarded for anything they do. They don't have free will. They don't have choice. There's no ability for them to choose to do good or bad. And therefore, there is no way that they get you know, rewarded in any which way. Seems to fly in the face of this medrash. We have four rewards given to the dogs, right? Four rewards. Seems to fly right in the face of what we're talking about here, doesn't it? It seems strange. Torah Tamima suggests there's no reward in Olam Haba for animals, for dogs, for any of these animals. But in Olam Hazeh, they get rewarded. There is a reward in this world. Torah Shlema says no question here. The Rambam is clearly talking about the next world, and that's bad news for those who believe in doggy heaven and doggy Gehenna. It's bad. There is no doggy heaven. There's no such thing. They have heaven in this world. They have me'en olam haba. They have Shabbos every single day of their lives because of the reward that they got for not barking. Everything is in this world. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means that when you go up to Shemaim after 120, are you going to have a dog with you? It seems like no. Maybe because you love dogs so much, you get to have your dog, but it's not really your dog. Maybe it's like a carbon copy. I have absolutely no idea. But there is officially no doggy, no, doggy heaven. I don't know what they would do to deserve it. I, I'm not so sure. Like if it doesn't bark for you, if you say like sit, sit, and it, it sits. You're just like, oh, <laughs> hey, look. I'm sorry? You'd think that, that maybe that's the reward they get in Olamazov. I have absolutely no idea. I do have a good story about it. We're going to get to it soon. On Mekor Chesed, Mekor Chesed, it's written by uh, Reb Ruben Margolius in Sefer HaChasidim on page 107. He brings about 10 Midrashim that seem to contradict the Rambam, right? But uh, it depends on how you look at it. I, I, I think that's, it's not so obvious. I, I, don't know, I don't know if I'd say that specifically. Um, the Dego Machne Ephraim, the Baal Shem Tov's grandson, says you can darshan the Torah without Nikudos. And this Pusik is not talking about dogs at all. The drush behind the Pusik is that you should never say something if you don't mean it. You should never tell a sheker. Don't get involved in lies at all. He says whenever something bad happens to a person, he should check to make sure that he's speaking the truth and only the truth, or else Gavuro starts to take over. Where did he get that from? So one time a man came before a mayor of Parmeshalan. And he complained that he was doing lots of things. Nothing was working out for him. Doing this business and that business. He's getting involved in all these different things. And he told Rameir, he said, nothing's working. Every time I try something, I end up losing and this and that and the other. Every chap. So Rameir told him this passage. Lo yecharatz means a person shouldn't try to bend the truth. Or try to do something out of trickery. Rather, kelev lishono. His tongue and the way he speaks should be what he's thinking in his heart. Instead of lo yecharetz kelev lashono, lo yecharetz, do not bark, don't go crazy, don't lie. 
Everything that comes out of your mouth should be what's exactly inside your heart. You should say what you mean and mean what you say, and then you'll be matzliach. That's what the Dego Machna Ephraim was talking about. That's how Rameer Pameshalan told that guy, if a person wants to be successful in business, make sure you are not going to lie. Make sure you don't say anything. Was once he had a piece of land up north in Eretz and it caused him tremendous agmas nefesh. It was just really, really bad land, and he kept losing money on the deal. So there was a very wealthy uh, American businessman who wanted to buy land in Eretz All he wanted it for, he didn't want to live there, he didn't want to build anything there. The only reason why he wanted the land is simply put so he could be mekayim the mitzvos of shemitah and trumos and meiser and everything else that he could do. He wanted to be mekayim mitzvos just by having this piece of land. That was it. So he didn't care. It was going to cost him a little bit of money. He didn't care. So he found out Rishon Lishon had a piece of land. Rishon Lishon got in the car with him to go see the piece of land. As they're going up there, he's like, you don't want this piece of land. It's terrible. So the guy's like, I don't care. It doesn't make a difference to me. I'm going to pay the money and it'll be fine. He's like, no, 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 I'm telling you, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. The guy turns to Rasholim, he said, Rebbe, it doesn't matter to me. I just want to get the piece of land. He's like, no, turn the car around. I'm not selling the land to you. You don't know what you're getting yourself into. You don't realize what you're doing. Let's turn around. Now, you don't have to be like that when selling your car or your house or anything like that, where it's so adamant that I'm not going to sell it because you don't realize what you're getting yourself into. But you got to be careful. Make sure that everything you say is exactly what you mean when you get involved in a thing like this. Okay, we know... And we've already said that dogs got a bad rap from the Rabbeinu Bechaya. They're called the animals of the Sultan and other things. There's Yalku Ruveni in 38 and 39. The Nitzitzah Shimshin over here as well. Rabbi Yitzchak Zilberstein points out this is only true if dogs act in a bad fashion. If dogs help you in some way, they should be rewarded tremendously. So members of Yeshuv came to Rabbi Yitzchak Zilberstein to tell him what had happened to them. A donkey came wandering into their Yeshuv. So this is obviously, we're dealing with times where you're dealing with, unfortunately, where Arabs are trying to do something to the Jews. A donkey came into the Yishuv, and a guard dog, who was trained for these types of situations, immediately ran up to the donkey, bit it, right? And the donkey fell down to the ground. When the donkey fell down to the ground, the people started gathering around and realized there was a package on its back, and they saw that it was a bomb. It was a bomb, and it was supposed to go off in the middle of the Yishuv. The donkey was just going to walk into the middle of the Yishuv. It was going to go off there. It was obviously going to cause a lot of damage, right? Structural damage to the houses as well as the people that were there. And because of this dog, because of the dog, they were all saved. So they had a few Shilohs to ask. So they asked their Shilohs. They got their Shilohs into Rabbi Yitzhak The Rabbi Yitzhak said, here's what you should do. Take the donkey, kill it, and feed the carcass to that dog. I said, Why? They said, that should be the reward. It's the reward that we gave to the dogs for not barking and saving, so to speak, the Jews from the Egyptians when they left Mitzrayim, so to speak, since they saved them then. And they were given nevelas. They were given dead bodies, dead, dead bodies, dead carcasses as the reward. That's the reward that this dog should get as well. The reward given to it from the Torah is that it deserves the donkey and it should get it itself. He says, there's Yushalmi Trumos. I didn't know this you showed me true. Mem Dalit Amabez says a rub was once invited to a meal, and when the rub brought it, was brought into the meal, they seated him next to a dog. At the table, a dog was sitting at the head of the table, and the rabbi was sitting next to the dog. So the rabbi was insulted. He turned to the people and he said, What did I do wrong to you? Well, what did I do? That you're gonna seat me, seat me next to a dog. He said, You don't understand. This dog, I was one time out of town, and a kidnapper came in and tried to take my wife. And this dog bit and killed the kidnapper. And because it did it, I rewarded the dog by seating it at the front of the table so that anything should be, any food that we have, the dog gets to eat as well. That's the reward that the dog got. 
So the idea is, that's from the Yushami Trumas as well, if the dog saves you, that's what you end up doing. You reward it in a tremendous fashion. So you said before, what happens if you have a dog that saves somebody or whatever it is? The reward for that dog should be immense. It should eat at a human table, at a regular person's table, and eat the food. And normally we don't give human food, people food, we don't give to animals. You should give it over to this dog for that reason, because of the reward that it's supposed to get. Now, in Brachos Nimvav Mabez, it says, if a person sees a dog in his dream, he should immediately wake up and say, before he says, before you come up to another puzzle that says that dogs are a bad thing, they're aze nefesh. Maybe this is the source for the chazal, and I'm saying this with air quotes on purpose. Maybe this is the, the source for everybody knows if a dog is barking at you, what do you do? You say the Pasuk, you say this Pasuk, it's nowhere. There is no such Chazal. It's not a Gemara, it's not a Yushalmi. I don't want to act like all Rav Chaim Knievsky on you and be like, oh, it's nowhere. I don't, there's no place where this line appears, where a dog is barking at you or chasing at you, just say the words, and the dog goes away. It's not true, it's not brought anywhere. It's not brought anywhere. But it could be based on this Gemara. The Gemara says, you see a dream, you see a dog, Right? Say, and then everything's going to be okay. So unless I'm mistaken, and again, I, am, I, 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 I think I would pay you. If anybody could find it for me, I would pay money to be able to see an actual Mimer Chazal or a Medrash anywhere that says this line, that if you see dogs, this is what they do. I found on some place, I tried looking for it in like different places you know, through, uh, through the internet, but I will tell you, I am a horrible, horrible person when it comes to this stuff. Like, I don't, need, I don't know how to do it much. I found at a place that I was looking in Hebrew, but the Torah.org came up. There was a story of the Dubna Maggit. I can't tell you the veracity of the story. This is not a story brought in Mashle Yaakov, which are all the Mishalim of the Dubna Maggit. So I can't tell you, but here's what it was. One time the Maggit Dubna came to an enlightened congregation in Germany. He was famous enough that the congregation, which was filled with reformed Jews, they wanted him to speak. They said they really wanted him to speak. But they said, Rabbi, we don't want you to tell us Musr. We just want to hear your stories. We love your stories, but we don't want to hear any muster. So if you can tell us stories without any muster, we're in. Then we want you to speak for us and you'll make some money, right? And we'll give you some money for it. So what did the Magid tell them? Told them, I've got a story. <laughs> Immediately answered them with a story. Said, a rabbi wanted to take his Talmidim to walk through the forest. As he took his Talmidim, he warned them. He said, there are tons of wild dogs in this forest, feral dogs in this forest. If we go through, we might be faced with one of these dogs, these wolves, these foxes. So because that might happen, I'm going to teach you what to do. Whenever a feral dog comes near you, say the Pasuk, and you'll be fine. You don't have to worry about anything. So he practiced it with them. He went over with them. He said, all right, say it with me. And they said it again and again and again until everybody had the Pasuk down. Everybody knew what to say. So they went into the forest. Soon, they were confronted by a wild dog. A wild dog came up to them and immediately turned to the Rebbe. The Rebbe was fleeing the other direction, running in the other direction. Talmudim called him and said, Rebbe, what about the Pusik? Right? He didn't hear them. He kept running. He's like, run! So everybody's running after the Rebbe. They get out of the forest. Right? I don't know. The dog ate three of them. Why not? Right? So either way, but they're getting out of the forest. They run out of the forest and they're all like panting. And the Talmudim said to the Rebbe, Rebbe, I don't understand. You told us that we just had to say the Pusik. He said, yeah, but there was a dog running after me. I couldn't say the Pusik when there's a dog running after me. What am I supposed to do? Again, that's the story. He turned to the people and said, I, I don't want any mistakes here. I'm a storyteller. 
I am not a, I'm not a storyteller. I'm a rabbi, he said. I use the stories to bring out my points and to illuminate my words, but the stories are never just stories. There's always a point to be made, a lesson to be learned. What's the point of me telling you guys something if you're not going to learn anything out of it? It's like this rabbi. Guys, everybody say, but when it boils down to it, I didn't really mean it, and just runs away. There's no point to that. I'm not going to just tell you stories. If you want stories, go read a storybook. If you want me to come, you want me to give me Musr, I'll be able to give you Musr. If you don't want me to give you Musr, I'm not coming to your congregation. That's what he told him, and that's how we went through. That, if it's a true story, and not just made up by somebody about 20 years ago, then you have a source for Lo Yechertz Kaloshono from the Magid Midubno 200 years ago. If this is a true story. I, I, I don't know if it's a true story. I also don't know something else, but I did see something over there. There was a piece in the Tzor Lateva, and then I found this in a sheet that was handed out for the Hebrew Academy of Cleveland a couple years ago. Here's what it says. In Brisk, at the time when the Beis Levi was Rav, there was an argument that came about as something really important in the community. Everybody was arguing. Everybody got together. Everybody had a different opinion. So the Brisk Rav was approached and said, you have to paskin on this issue. We have to decide what we're going to do over here. It was something important. So what are you going to do? So the Brisk Rav wanted to call everybody in to hear everyone's opinion. He wanted to know what everyone had to say before he was going to make a decision, before he rendered a decision. So basically, he invited all the leaders in to see what each one of them was thinking. After he heard it from them all, right, that was that. But the leaders didn't want to get involved. Every leader demurred. He he said, like, no, I, you know what, let him decide, let him decide. Nobody wanted to get involved because they were all worried about what the constituents would say. I could lose my job. I'm not going to be the senator anymore. I'm no longer going to be the mayor if I say something. I don't want to say anything because I'm worried about what the re- decision is going to be. So they said that. After he heard that every leader didn't have an opinion, basically he yelled at them and said, remaining neutral is what dogs do. That's what dogs do. They remain neutral. And Baba Kamal, as we mentioned before, when the Malach Amavis comes to a city, what do the dogs do? They scream and bark. That's what we said before, right? When Elioa Navi comes to the city, dogs laugh. Dogs laugh. In Mitzrayim, by this Makkah, by Makkah's Bechoros, two things were going on at the same time. The Malach Amavis was killing the firstborn. And I know, again, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but the Malach Amavis was still involved. We spoke about this before. The Malach Amavis was killing the firstborn. Malach Amavis was getting involved. At the same time, the Jews were given a geula. They were redeemed. Which means Elioa Navi was there at the same time the Malach Amavis was there. Now the dogs were left with a problem. Do they bark and cry because the Malach Amavis is there? Or do they laugh because the Elioa Navi is there? What do they do? So what do they do? They remained silent. They stopped. They didn't do anything whatsoever. Said the briskerov, you're like a dog. You can't make a decision. You don't know what to do, so you're going to do absolutely nothing. That's not the way we do things. If you're a leader, you've got to come up with a decision. You've got to make a decision and go with it. In Sanhedrin, Sadi Zion, we see at the end of days, Penei Hador Kepenei The face of the generation will be a face of dogs. Be a face of dogs. What does that mean? It means the generation's leadership will be like dogs that are indecisive. Completely indecisive. They don't know what to do. Nobody's going to take a stand. Numerous issues plaguing a community. I think we all understand that there are so many things that are happening to us, right, all the time. What we need is a leader who's going to stand up and make a decision. Not a leader who's going to say, I don't know, either way is good. You got to make a decision and decide. Even if it's unpopular, even if people are going to be upset, somebody has to decide what to do. If not then we're just dogs. We're just dogs. And that's not meant in a bad way. That means we're going to do what the dogs did in Mitzrayim. 
which is remain silent, which is nothing, never something that we should be doing. Stop with that, everyone. The basic idea going on is what liyechrat means, what they didn't do, why they should have barked, and why they didn't bark, the reward that they're going to get specifically over here, whether or not dogs are good or bad creatures, and finally, what, what the idea is of saying liyechrat whenever a dog is barking at you. Maybe, maybe it comes from that. Come on, Shkayach, everybody, will stop with that.